Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part two of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session two, the invisible hand, introducing the one who does it. In this session, I'm going to be giving a picture of how grace works. I just want to forewarn you ahead of time, it's an imperfect picture. Any picture that you give that isn't necessarily derived completely and wholly from Scripture is going to be an imperfect picture, and you could shoot holes in it in various ways. But what I want you to do is capture the idea behind it. And actually, this, this illustration is very profound, and yet it does fall short in certain ways. And so, but I want you to see if you can give grace, no, no pun intended on that one, to the idea, because I think you could really be impacted by the picture. Grace. So here's a very simple enunciation for grace. God did it, God does it, and God will always do it. I've actually never given that as a definition of grace, but I always love changing things up just to give a fresh perspective or a fresh lens on things. And what we have is the idea that Jesus has done it. And yet, he did not retire from his job of doing it. His work of saving is not just past tense. When you catch that in your life, you'll understand how grace works. You are saved by grace through faith. Most of us think, oh, yeah, well, yeah, he did it 2,000 years ago. Thank you, Jesus. And then what do we have to lean on then? If his work is done, who needs to kick into gear and start working? We do. You see, when his work is not finished in the sense of you and completing you, then you understand, wait a minute, his grace still works, and I am still saved by grace. The same grace that saved me back then at the cross is the same grace that works that salvation in me today. God does it. That's an enunciation of Christianity right there, and most of us, we know it intellectually, but we can't grasp it. It's like this bar of soap that you get a hold of this truth and it slips right out and we can't get a firm grip on this idea, but God does it. How does Christianity work? God does it. How are you going to have a great marriage? God must do it. How are you going to be a great parent? God must do it. How are you going to be a great Christian? God must do it. How do you overcome sin? How do you overcome lust? How do you overcome fear? God must do it. You see, theoretically it sounds fine and we could maybe get it right on a true-false test practically is where we fall short. We miss, there's like synopses that aren't connecting where we understand it intellectually, but we don't get it. We don't grab it, practically. So the small s that is often missing in most of our lives. So what I mean by small s is let's first talk about big S, salvation. How is one saved? Well, saved by grace through faith. Believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ is what offers salvation. It's not by any works, lest any man could boast. It is by faith in the person of Christ that we are saved. We we know that, but what are we thinking when we say saved? We're thinking big S, which means eternal. On judgment day, you're spared. 
In other words, you don't end up in hell, you end up in the presence of Christ. Yay! That's big S. Big S is important, don't get me wrong, I do not want to diminish big S, I'm a huge fan of it. However, there's also a small S. The small S that is often missing in most of our lives. We're going to say small S salvation. You know that when you're tempted, you need to be saved from that temptation? You know that you need salvation, not just from hell, but from hell's minions in the here and now? And if you don't have something very, very important, you're going to fail those tests and not be able to functionally showcase how Christianity works. So by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith. Big S and small S. Those probably aren't a big enough differentiation between each other. Imagine the big one a lot bigger and imagine the small one a lot smaller. So big S salvation, rescue from the coming judgment. Does that make sense? In other words, we're talking about the big stuff. That's how most of us, when we hear the word salvation, when we hear the word savior, that's what we're thinking. So when you understand that Jesus is a savior for more than just eternal salvation, but actually life salvation, I, I tell you what, your Christianity suddenly has wings and begins to fly. It's like, wait a minute, that, oh, so here we are. You are saved, and this is the same scripture, you are saved by grace through faith. Now, look what I did. I put in some certain parenthetical statements here. You are saved from the coming judgment, or big S salvation, through believing that he did it. So what is your faith in? It's in his work on the cross. That is sufficient. It did it. And so you are saved, big S salvation, through faith, through believing the action of faith, that he did it. You don't just believe anything. I believe the color orange can save me. No, that isn't what saves you. It's not just faith in anything. It's faith in his working. It's faith that he accomplished it. Okay, so this is how big S salvation works. Now let's talk about small S salvation. It's rescue in the moment by moment battle while here on earth. Someone comes up and spits in your face. By the way, that is a very difficult moment on planet Earth. And what is the propensity? The human propensity is to lash back, okay? Or usually with spit. If spit comes your way, then you may throw it back. In other words, it's like manner for like manner. They give you flesh, you give them flesh. That's not Christianity. The world gives you flesh, you give a new response, a heavenly response, something that is altogether foreign to this world down here. The only way to give it is have God give it through you. And that is what we're going to return, term small s salvation. In that moment, you need to be saved from demonstrating what the world already sees. They, don't, they see flesh all the time. You're a Christian. Therefore, you bear the name Jesus. You need to show Jesus. Well, good luck. Try it. Just go out there and see if you can endure these things. See if you can handle temptation towards lust and sensual deviancy. See if you can handle the fear and the anxiety and the fret and the foreboding which will come crushing down on you when life's situations turn sour. Try it. You can't do it. There's nothing in your pockets that will enable it. But you have access unto the throne room of grace to find mercy and grace for help in time of need. You have everything you need in order to pull this off. So this is what we'll call, we'll call small s salvation. Now look at this. There's our same scripture that says you are saved by grace through faith. Now what I did is I put in, you are saved in the moment by moment battle while here on earth through believing not just that he did it, get this, but that he does it. That is a trigger point which can set you free. Understanding his work 
is accomplished on the cross to make, us, make available to us the throne of grace. In other words, the fact that he did it makes available to us the fact that he does it. So in other words, he finished the work to enable us to do the work. He has made a way for us to believe and walk in an ever-present reality that he didn't just do it. He does it. And he will do it always in and through us to those that believe. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? Jesus talking. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me. So Jesus is saying that what he's speaking is not his own words. Something else is dwelling in him that is enabling him to speak what he's speaking. Jesus is God. Jesus could have his own words, and I'm sure they would be good words, but even Jesus depended on what we know as grace. God working inside of him. He was showing us how we ought to live. So what does it say? It says, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. So what we see is this idea of grace actually active in Jesus Christ. Who did the works in Jesus? Because we could say, he did it. Well, who did it in him? The Father did it in him. Grace is active within Jesus to accomplish something. So verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Well, how could he say that so boldly and so confidently? Because he knows what he's purchasing on that cross. He knows that when he does it, what he's doing. He is giving us the ability or the power to do it as well. So the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. You see the word do? I should have made the word do in that huge. Do and does. It's big. It's the action of faith. Grace does. It is an action. It is an evidence that God is at work inside of us. The invisible hand. Now, what's funny is it's sort of hard to show you an invisible hand. I could have just kept it all blank up there and say, see it? So you need to imagine that it's invisible. Okay, if I were to hold my hand up and say it's invisible, it's sort of hard to explain this. But just imagine that you can't see it. So if I'm doing this and I say, do you see it? You go, no, I I can't see anything. What are you talking about, Eric? You see, I have a hand, but it's invisible. Now I'm going to liken a hand to grace. Okay, but I'm going to call it the invisible hand. It's the hand of God. You know what the hand of God or the hand of the Lord is actually a key theme in Scripture? It's what accomplishes God's end. He accomplishes things by the hand of the Lord, okay? The hand of Jehovah, the hand of Yahweh, the hand of Yahweh, the hand of Adonai, the hand of Lord, the hand of the Lord. This is a symbol of that, but it's invisible. No man has ever seen God. And yet many of us in here would say, well, but I thought he was revealed. He was. We have seen God, but not in the way. You don't see an invisible hand. And I want to explain how this works. So the invisible hand, it's built to do it all. Have you ever studied a hand or just thought about a hand? That's what we're going to do. We're going to think about a hand. A hand is extraordinary. If you don't have a hand, it's very difficult to get things done. But this hand can do all sorts of things. So let's look at this. I'm going to show you the advertising copy for a hand. Sort of like God's getting us all excited about a hand. It's amazing. It can lift, push, carry, pinch, mold, point, poke. Break, hold, massage, slather, stroke, squeeze, drop, wipe, pick, turn, brush, pet, punch, throw, shoot, whack, shake, and a thousand more things beside. It's the all-purpose, all-in-one, do-it-all tool. It makes things happen. The hand, it can do it all. Can't you see? We need to turn that into a commercial, an Ellerslie commercial. 
Isn't that great? Now I want to introduce you to something. We'll call this the work glove. Okay, now this is going to be really hard for me to do, but here's, here's like a work glove, okay? Now what's amazing about a work glove, see, if you can't see my hand, and you're like, I, I don't see it, Eric. It's, it's invisible, so this really isn't helping me understand your illustration. Now imagine, if I were to show you this, it's made in the image or in the likeness and the shape of the invisible hand. You know what it's meant to do? It's meant to fit over that hand and as a result, reveal the hand. How do you see the hand? Because it's been given a body. This body or this work glove is meant not to do the work, but it sort of does. But by itself, outside of the hand, it can do nothing. I mean, think about how ridiculous this is. Let's remove the invisible hand. Plop. All right, can it do anything now other than sit there and flop? It doesn't have any life in it. You see, it's the hand that actually brings it to life and makes it function. So let's look at the advertising copy for the work glove. So it says the work glove, built to reveal the invisible hand that does it all. So who does it all? The hand. However, the work glove has a role, and it's to reveal the hand that does it all. So advertising copy. It's made in the image and shape of the invisible hand, and it fits the invisible hand perfectly. In and of itself, it can't do anything but flop. But stick the invisible hand inside it, and whammo! It comes to life, and it suddenly can do everything the invisible hand can do. With the, invinci- with the invisible hand living inside it, it can make visible the perfect actions of the invisible. It can lift, push, carry, pinch, bold point, poke, break, hold, massage, lather, stroke, squeeze, drop, wipe, wipe pick, turn... Brush, pet, punch, throw, shoot, whack, shake, and a thousand more things besides. Remember, by itself, it can do nothing. But with the hand dwelling inside it, it can change the world. The work glove, built to reveal the hand that can do it all. Isn't that neat? Okay, so what you're learning is grace. Remember what grace is. Grace is the invisible hand. How is grace made known? Who is the messenger of grace to the world. It was the work glove that dwelt perfectly in his position on the hand. And when he came, what did he reveal to us? He revealed to us the invisible hand. And what he did was the perfect expression of what the hand was doing. And as a result, we said, so there's the hand. That's what the hand looks like. Philip says, show us, show us the hand. And Jesus says, have I not been living on that hand long enough before you? And every movement I was making, didn't you realize that that was the hand doing it? You see, when you see me, Philip, you've seen the hand. Where did the work glove go wrong? Something went wrong in this whole thing. I mean, the, guy, the work glove was created perfectly to fit that hand. What happened? Well, the work glove believed the lie that it could function by itself without the indwelling invisible hand. I mean, isn't it ridiculous to think of a work glove actually having the thought going, you know what, I don't need that hand. I can do this work by myself. Can't you see Satan? Come on, you're a good work glove. You're made of real calfskin. You don't need that hand. You could be a hand. Huh? I could? You could be a hand just like him. You don't need him. And so the moment it slipped off is the moment it died. It fell, limp to the ground. But when it left the hand, it instantly lost its life and was emptied of the power to do all things. For in and of itself, it can do nothing. The trash can. 
It's the place where floppy, lifeless, empty, right-handed work gloves, and I emphasize right-handed for all the students in here who understand what that means. It's our own attempt at showcasing the glory of God. Right-handedness. Only God is righteous. So when we attempt to be a right-handed work glove in our own strength, it's called self-righteousness. And it is disgusting in God's kingdom. It's the place, so the trash can is the place where floppy, lifeless, empty, right-handed work gloves that have rejected the invisible hand end up. What's the good of a work glove that refuses the hand? Can you think of anything? It is good for nothing but to be thrown into the trash. And so there we all find ourselves. We find ourselves as truly created in a marvelous fashion for a very specific purpose, but cut off from that purpose because of our rebellion and because of our self-will and our self-desire to say, I do not want to be filled with the hand. I want to be the life within me. I want to control this hand. But if you empty of God, did you know that you get stuffed with all sorts of other stuff that aren't supposed to be in you? It's called sin. It's self that is attempting to make this hand functional. And could you imagine an empty work glove flopped on the ground attempting to do and imitate the work of the hand? I mean, isn't that laugh out loud ridiculous? It's like, hand, you do not have it in you. And we're like, I can do this. I'll show you that I can do it by my own discipline. I can do it. You can't do it. Without that hand inside of you, it is impossible. So glove righteousness, that would be the attempt for this dastardly work glove by the way, I have a pretty disgusting version of one here. It even is like, has this thing all wrapped around it. I don't know exactly what that is, but the thing isn't looking good. It's just sort of gnarled and disgusting. Could you imagine that thing on the ground attempting to imitate the invisible hand? It's as dung unto God. It is disgusting because it is an absolute statement of rebellion against God saying, I do not need you. I can do this myself. You see, Christianity stems from the fact that we say the law says something. It says, well, you must do it this way. And the hand goes, what do you mean? Where did you come up with that? God said it. This is how the the work glove is supposed to behave. Well, I I, I can't do that. I mean, there's other things I can do. You know that we as humans can do a lot of things. And we can do a lot of things well. But we can't produce righteousness. We cannot produce the stuff of heaven. We cannot show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God's style. We fail when it comes to eternal behavior. We fail when it comes to the character of heaven. We fail when it comes to the virtue and the purity of the life of God. We can't do that, but unless we do, we have no part with him. So we are fit for the trash can. And we'll call that glove righteousness, the attempt, a work glove attempting in its own calfskin power to demonstrate the ability and action of the invisible hand. Try it. It's called legalism. You in your own calfskin strength, trying to produce the righteousness of heaven, is laugh out loud, ridiculous. The Divine Want Ad, published by the Father. Now, it's arguable when he published this, because I would say he published it right back in the beginning. However, you could also say he published it when Jesus Christ was born. This is just a beautiful thought. The Divine Want Ad, listen to this. Wanted. Dirty, rumpled work glove that perfectly fits my right hand. Very dear to me. We'll give up everything in order to get it back. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I mean, to be honest, this isn't looking very attractive to me. And yet, I have a hunch that we look a lot more disgusting than even this. 
You see, we're the opposite direction. We're like this. God's hand is saying, look, I'm ready to enter. We're the opposite direction. We're floundering. We're lost. We're empty. We're dead. And God says, wanted. Disgusting, rather revolting and smelly work glove. But it's dear to me. And I'm willing to give up everything in order to get it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The mission of the hand, to seek and save that which was lost, the dirty, rumpled work glove buried in the trash can. The father says, I know where it's at, but I need a work glove. And so Jesus becomes a work glove, sets himself upon the father's hand, and goes about the rescuing work. Because the only thing that can rescue is a glove inhabited by the rescuer. And so Jesus became a rescuer by allowing the hand to fill him. Yes, he was God. He was the perfect work glove because of it. However, he demonstrated how a work glove ought to behave. And that is wholly dependent upon the hand. So what Jesus did, everything he spoke, everything he did was an expression of what the hand was doing. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He is doing the work of the invisible hand. So the law of the invisible hand. The invisible hand is revealed only through a work glove. Now what you have to see here is I have like one of these, I have a little example of it. It's pretty disgusting up here, uh, but so it's not the best illustration. But if I were to put this on, I don't even know what material that is. But what happens is it's sort of like sticking on the work glove. You know what happens to the work glove? It becomes invisible. When it truly is worn properly, that calfskin becomes invisible. And what do you see? You actually see the hand that is invisible. The only way that God is revealed is his chosen means. It's the law of the invisible hand. The invisible hand is revealed only through a work glove. And yet when the work glove is laying dead on the ground, we don't see God. So God says, is there a work glove that will reveal me? And Jesus said, let me be the work glove. And Jesus comes onto the Father's hand, the invisible hand, and as a result becomes invisible. And what we saw when we saw the life of Jesus was that which was invisible up to that point. The perfection of the Father is made clear and visible in and through Jesus. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. You know what that means? Revealed God to us, has made him known, has explained him. You see, Jesus Christ, the work glove, has revealed the hand. That's what it says in the very beginning of John. No one has seen God at any time. However, the work glove has revealed him. He that has seen me, says Jesus, has seen the Father. He that has seen the perfect work glove has actually seen the invisible hand. Jesus became a work glove, and he functioned perfectly the way a work glove ought to function. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son of Man... The son can do nothing of himself. You know, do you find that statement a little strange? I mean, we're talking about God the creator. He could do nothing of himself. You see, he humbled himself to behave as a work glove ought to behave. And as a result, he was wholly dependent as a work glove upon the hand. So what he's saying is, hey, guys, I'm a work glove, and I can do nothing of myself. Don't you know how work gloves work? You have to have something inside of you. What is that something? We call it Grace. But what he sees the Father do, for whatsoever things he does, these also does the Son likewise. Whatever the invisible hand does, that's what the glove will do. 
For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. I became a glove not to just function as a glove off separate from a hand, but to show you how a glove ought to work. So I actually rest upon the hand. I abide on that hand. I remain in that position to demonstrate to you the way the hand works, the way the hand thinks, what its purposes are. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. My movements are not my own. They're the invisible hand within me. I do nothing of myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Even what he spoke out of his mouth was that which the Father was speaking. Everything he did was completely dependent upon something else. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwells in me, he does the works. The power to do it. Even Jesus lived by this power. He demonstrated us to us perfect righteousness, allowing as a work glove the invisible hand to enter in and to live the life that you cannot. Jesus was a glove who never removed himself from the hand but maintained a perfect dependence upon it. When the hand pointed, the glove pointed. When the hand gripped, the glove gripped. When the hand waved, the glove waved. He was in perfect harmony with the movements of the hand, never once leaving the hand to explore the possibilities of self-gloveness or glove-righteousness. The great trash can retrieval. The roaring of the garbage truck can be heard rumbling down the street, glass bottles shattering, milk cartons crushing, pop cans collapsing. There is no time to lose. The hand leaps to action, puts on the work glove, and opens the lid to the trash bin. The smell is awful, the appearance even worse. No well-respecting hand would ever venture in there. The trash man leaps from the truck to grab the trash bin. The trash man grabs a hold of the garbage bin and begins to lift it. The hand clothed in the perfect work glove, Jesus Christ, dives in. Through the spaghetti sauce, he searches. Through the rancid grass clippings, he sifts. Through the dirty diapers, he searches. And even through the moldy muffins. And finally, there it is. He finds the beloved work glove, us. Covered in filth. He covers it in his hand and yanks it out of the debris, just as the trash, can, trash man throws the remainder of the garbage into the truck. The perfectly behaved glove has rescued me. He, is perf- he, in perfect submission to the invisible hand, has reached down into my morass and pulled me out of the filth. Because he was perfectly yielded to the hand, he had the power to grip me, pull me up, hold me in the hollow of that hand, and even clean me off. In the grip of the perfect glove. One of the things that we're going to talk about this semester, especially for the the students that are here for the semester, but also for the church families that are going through this process as well, is the concept of in. In is a position. It is not just on, which is a position, but in is the word. It is inside. And there's a difference of relationship, you know, if my clothes are over here and I am near them as opposed to in them. And it would be a very awkward differentiation for all of us. You see, to appropriate the true virtue of what Christ has done, we must be in that grip. We must be in it, not near it, not have seen it. It's like, oh yeah, his hand reached down, sure. Yeah, but are you in that hand? Because that's the hand that pulls you out of the trash. Otherwise, you're in the incinerator. Are you in the hand? And so we're going to talk about the in, but there's two ins. There's the in Christ, in his grip, in his rescue. And then there's also what he's rescued you for, and that's what grace is. See, grace is the reaching down, and it is pulling out, but there's another dimension of grace which will change your life. 
And that is Jesus Christ has brought you to the Father so that his hand could enter into you as a work glove. And you too could become that work glove that perfectly reveals the nature of your God. So in the grip of the perfect work glove, prepared for the invisible hand to enter me. You are stuck in the trash, in the sludge, in the slime. Jesus Christ has reached down by an action of grace and has rescued you because he loves you too much to leave you there. He has cleansed you. He has cleaned you off. He has purged you of the filth. He has washed you whiter than snow. He has clothed you in his righteousness so that you could be brought into the throne room of grace and actually become filled with the hand, this Holy Spirit. And the grace of God could be animated within you. And just as Jesus was perfectly dependent and perfectly malleable, and when God pointed, he pointed, so we, when the Spirit of God points, we point. When the Spirit of God grips, we grip. We are nothing but a glove, and outside of God, we can do nothing. It's called grace. Thank you so much for listening to part two of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns cheering you on as Christ cultivates his set-apart life within you.